0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Landscape Nerd Podcast where we learn, discuss, and nerd out about all things landscape. And I am your host, Macy Nelson. It is December, so what do you think of in this time of year? For me, I definitely think about the closing of a calendar year, the snow where I live, and especially the holidays. This time of year hosts celebrations for all walks of life, religious, and spiritual backgrounds. What I love most about the holidays is that it goes beyond just a celebratory event. It is an atmosphere, it has an ambiance, it permeates from people to places. I mean, we're kind of funny when we celebrate holidays. We can't contain our joy about some or happiness for that holiday within ourselves or in our own homes. We literally have to splash it on the walls and on the landscape. We play music, we dance, and we decorate. We have historically donned our homes and community spaces with decor with the intent to inspire joy in others, which brings us to our topic of today to maybe the most famous piece of holiday decor that ever was. The Christmas tree. How did that Christmas tree end up in your home? Or maybe on the TV screen, the lobby of a hotel, or a business? Why do we have them? What is better, a real Christmas tree or a fake Christmas tree? A bit of a disclaimer. Landscape nerds, if you are going to share this episode with friends and family, let them know that we are about to get really nerdy. And for new listeners, welcome. We are happy to have you here. Christmas trees are a great entry point for those who aren't landscape nerds to learn about how landscape impacts people and vice versa. So let's begin. Throughout history, People in temperate climates, the changing and dropping of leaves were observed and understood as the start of the winter season. As the days grow shorter and many deciduous trees strip down to their bare bones, humans have always looked towards wintertime greenery as a way to keep us hopeful and merry. Long before the advent of Christianity and the holiday of Christmas, Plants and trees that remained green all year were held specially dear in winter. Ancient peoples hung evergreen boughs over their doors and windows in belief that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and illness. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a sun god named Ra and believed that Ra became sick and weak each year with the approach of winter. But on the winter solstice, the shortest day and the longest night of the year, Ra would begin to recover from his illness. In celebration of Ra's steady recovery, the Egyptians would fill their homes with green palm rushes, which symbolize a triumph of life over death. Evergreen plants are magical in this way, they give us a tangible reminder of spring and summertime to come, and they keep people hopeful throughout the darkest nights. Early Romans also knew this and they marked the solstice with a large feast called Saturnalia in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. To the Romans, the solstice meant that soon farms would be full and orchards would be ready for harvest. Greenery in dreary times and dreary weather turns out to be a pretty good idea. So in fact, the tradition took on many forms throughout human history. Fast forward a few decades, we have the precursor to the Christmas tree, a pole that European parishes would decorate with holly and ivy, like a winter maypole, which people would dance and walk around in celebration of brighter days to come. The real origins of true Christmas trees as we know it seem to be rooted in present-day Germany during the Middle Ages. In 1419, a guild of Freiburg put up an evergreen fir tree with apples tied to its branches and decorated it with flower paste wafers, tinsel, and gingerbread. This tree served as their tree of knowledge in their reenactment of Adam and Eve, which fell on Christmas Eve. There is also documentation of trees decorated with wool thread, straw apples, nuts, and pretzels in Freiburg during this time. These were our edible precursors to ornaments. Soon, the tradition spread, and the demand for Christmas trees was so high in the 15th century that laws were passed in Germany to curb the cutting of pine branches and ordinances limited each household to only one tree. From Germany, then, we moved to England. In 1846, The popular royals Queen Victoria and her German Prince Albert were sketched in their illustrated London news, standing with their children around a Christmas tree. Unlike the previous royal family, Victoria was very popular with the public, and whatever she did immediately became fashionable, not only in Britain, but with fashion-conscious East Coast American society. Queen Victoria, it is pertinent to note here, is also the reason why a white wedding dress became a staple. Needless to say, your girl had some sway. The first record of the Christmas tree on display in the US was in the 1830s, by way of the German settlers from Pennsylvania. But for the most of the 19th century, until Queen Victoria made the trees trendy, Americans found Christmas trees an oddity, seen by most as nothing more than pagan symbols. But once they caught on, they caught on. Not only did Americans begin to embrace the tree, we wanted it bigger and showier than ever before. To this day, the average European Christmas tree is about 4 feet in height, while American Christmas trees have average 7 feet and reach from floor to ceiling. Even showier still, the tradition of the gigantic Christmas trees in public spaces, seems to be an American one that dates back to around the same time. The electricity lobby pushed for the first national Christmas tree at the White House as a publicity stunt for the glories of electricity. A nearly 60-foot-tall balsam fir tree covered in 2,500 light bulbs. A 20-foot-tall Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center in New York City first went up in 1931 when the building was still under construction. The building's construction gave work to so many people that were previously unemployed during the Great Depression that the tree became this symbol of hope. Now Christmas trees are grown in all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska. The best-selling tree species are Scotch pine, Douglas fir, Fraser fir, balsam fir, and white pine. Other types of trees such as cherry and hawthorns were used as Christmas trees in the past as well, but they weren't as fluffy and green as their counterparts, so they soon fell out of favor. However, I am all in favor of a cherry Christmas tree making a comeback. The preference for your tree aesthetic continues to evolve as each generation chooses their own style. In 1964, Time Magazine heralded a brand new Christmas trend, fake trees. We as humans love perfect things, things that last, things that are stable and predictable. So this was inevitable. Also, fake trees weren't a new idea. Trees in the past had been made of feathers and animal bristles, the stiff animal hair such as pig hair. But this fake tree trend was different and plastic. Artificial trees were, and still are, built from a metal skeleton sprayed with polyester powder coating and then donned with these PVC plastic ribbons. They're frayed artistically into fear-like needles and then they're spun around a metal wiring. Then some of these trees are snow-tipped and they're finished with this white latex paint there is a lot of chemical work that goes into building these artificial trees. When we think about indoor air quality, this chemical cocktail in a tree may raise a red flag. PVC plastic, polyvinyl chloride, is one of the main materials used, and it is known as a carcinogen according to the Journal of Carcinogenesis. That means that there is an elevated number of carcinogens during manufacturing, its lifespan in your house and during disposal. But artificial trees capitalize on convenience. Many are collapsible, have built-in lights, and even ornaments, and still dominate the Christmas tree industry today. Of roughly 95 million American households with Christmas trees in 2018, according to a Nielsen survey, 82% of the trees were artificial and 18 were real. While it's true that convenience may be the biggest factor in driving artificial tree popularity. There's also a part of economics as a contributing factor, and then there's also a part of climate change. In general, Christmas trees take about seven to 10 years to grow. That means we feel the impact of a decade prior, each year we choose our perfect tree. Today's trees were planted around the time of the Great Recession of 2008. In 2008, Christmas tree farmers, like many, were feeling the financial pressure Many went out of business and planted fewer saplings, which is part of the reason the average price of a real tree has increased by about $3 in one year between 2018 and 2019. Our tree farmers also have weather to grapple with. Heat waves, early frost, wildfires, and too much rain are considered contributing factors to a shortage of trees. The heat waves in 2017 and 2018 that killed many young seedlings will continue to impact tree supplies for years to come. Oh, and insects. Researchers have found that certain pests, like the balsam twig aphid, are already a major pest in the Quebec Christmas tree industry. They will likely increase in a warming climate and harm commercial fir plantations. Yes, artificial trees are not subject to these fluctuations and allow us to have our traditional celebrations regardless of outside impacts. But perhaps getting a real Christmas tree each year is a time to stop and reflect on the state of the environment that year. A professor in Montreal who is trying to develop a longer lasting real tree explained the larger idea for preserving the traditions of real Christmas trees. We live in an artificial environment, they said. The Christmas tree is one of the few things left that is natural. So here we are, faced with a perennial question. What's better, real or fake? So here's the rundown for the real versus fake in the US. 90% of real Christmas trees are grown on farms in the US and in Canada, and therefore support local economies. A hundred thousand people are employed by the Christmas tree industry in the US. Artificial trees are most likely factured, overseas, and then they're shipped across the world, therefore supporting distant economies. Real trees are renewable resources and recyclable, while PVC, artificial trees contain some non-biodegradable parts and are not easily recyclable due to the type of plastic. And the small, thin needle forms mixed into the metal are difficult to separate in order to melt down or reuse. Christmas trees are crops grown on farms, like lettuce or corn. Artificial trees are manufactured like blenders or toasters. Buying real trees will help keep these tree farms in business, and in turn, keep their lands covered in healthy forest and habitat and wildlife that depends on it to survive. Real trees provide many benefits to the environment as they're growing. They clean the air and the water, they help fix carbon in their branches and in the soil. Real trees help jumpstart ecosystems, provide seeds, which are then eaten by squirrels, chipmunks, mice, voles, birds, and then they provide a diverse food source for bigger predators. Christmas tree farms are business, and they thrive close to urban areas helping preserve farmland that is often unsuitable for other crops and green spaces near these densely populated areas, where pressure for development continues to rise. Mike Garrett, owner and operator of a Christmas tree farm in Sussex, New Jersey, said, "'It allows people with land that may not be the best farmland to have a crop that they can actually make a profit on and not be under pressure to sell out to developers.'" Oregon is the country's biggest grower, followed by North Carolina, but many other states also have sizable Christmas tree farms, which preserve open land from development by their very existence. According to the Nature Conservancy, even though your Christmas tree is cut down, you're actually supporting forests. When these natural trees are harvested for sale, they are more than 10 times as many left standing in the young forest. Just based on the sheer quantity of saplings in the area, they are able to store a vast amount of carbon. An environmental consulting firm in Montreal found that an artificial tree would have to be reused for more than 20 years to be greener than buying a fresh cut tree annually. The calculations included greenhouse gas emissions, use of resources, and human health impacts. Real Christmas trees produce a thick resinous sap that creates a distinct smell indoors. Artificial trees, especially if new, are laden with fire retardants, sprayed on paint, and plastic that will off gas synthetic compounds and impact indoor air quality. Well maintained forests often store as much carbon as wild or unmanaged forests, making innovative forest management methods a key solution to fighting climate change. More than half of the U.S. forests are privately owned, so buying sustainable forest products support local communities and gives landowners the profits that they need to keep their land forested. Millennials get blamed for a lot of things, but I'm happy to say that we have contributed to a 20% increase in purchases of real trees in 2018. So after the presents are opened and the eggnog is empty, what happens to the tree? You see, Artificial trees have a pretty linear pathway. Artificial trees are almost exclusively manufactured in Asia, and they're made from plastic and metal that cannot be recycled by most municipal recycling programs in the US. So after six to ten years of use, most will end up in a landfill. But a real tree has a bit more of a complex and diverse use after the holiday has passed. Like a 4th of July firework, a real Christmas tree goes from valuable to worthless overnight. But their afterlife is as important environmentally as their glory days. New York City collects thousands of Christmas trees for an annual Park Improvement Volunteer Day called Mulch Fest, and this uses the mulch to enrich the soil and bring a fresh, organic, cost-effective nutrient supply to the city's public parks. In Long Beach, New York, discarded trees are often lined up like soldiers on sand dunes to support and rebuild those precious coastal buffers. In other areas, trees are sunk into lakes to create habitat and hatcheries for fish and other small aquatic species, safe from the jaws of larger predatory fish. Some trees spend their afterlife standing tall as makeshift snags or standing dead trees which create essential habitat for birds, insects, woodpeckers, and more, while others are chipped for hiking trails. Christmas trees for coastal erosion projects also occur down south. Louisiana has been airlifting millions of discarded Christmas trees into the swamps, bayous, and saltwater marshes on its coastal edge with the idea that the decaying vegetation will slow water and sink sediment that will eventually pile up high enough to support plant growth. The new plant's root systems will firm up the soil and the new land is born, giving hope for an overall coastal buildup to help buffer storms and surges in the future. You can also avoid the need to discard an old tree entirely. Some vendors sell living Christmas trees that they can replant if you have the space and the climate to do so, and even others sell trees like Norfolk Pines that can be used as lovely houseplants all year round. As landscape architects and thoughtful landscape designers, we love a good recycling Christmas tree to save the coast idea. We love seasonality and helping our clients see beauty in all seasons at all stages. But we also have to keep in mind that our field has a special talent to plan for the future, especially ones that we may not even be around for we can and should think about planning ahead and supporting practices that will live on not just for decades, but generations. During research for this episode, a beautiful idea of integrating landscape experience with education came about. How beautiful would it be to have a school, perhaps a middle school or high school, share their campus with a working Christmas tree farm? Allowing students to see the seven to ten year cycle from seedling to adult to seedling again. Allowing them to live in it. Allowing them to find beauty in fluctuation and in forest management. Allowing them to step away from the always perfect, never changing aesthetic of an artificial tree or the artificial landscape. Not to mention embracing experiential learning and observation alongside formal education in the classroom. This kind of education setting would promote and embrace the beauty in change, the beauty in the sun getting sick and weak and then celebrating its recovery. I believe that learning those kinds of lessons early on would be extremely beneficial to our future. So consider going out on a limb and turning over a new leaf this year if you are able. And choose pine over plastic. Today's episode was written by Adrienne Kartacek, a fellow landscape nerd that has mad research skills, who is also a designer at TBG Partners in Austin, Texas. You can find her on Instagram at a.kartacek. She chose this topic and all. I am very fortunate that she reached out to me. It warms my heart and lets me show you all how much I love doing this and also that I have the opportunity not only to share stories with you that I want you to hear, but also the stories that you want to tell. So continue to message me your show ideas and your thoughts, I love hearing from you. Also, I don't know if you knew this, but you can send me a voice message directly through Anchor. A few fellow landscape nerds have reached out to me that way. They ask for resources, or they just want to share their own thoughts and reflections on the episodes. So just take a listen.
1: Hey, my name is Alexander, and I'm really happy that this podcast exists, so thank you very much. Um, The reflections that were done around fall uh, were really interesting. I grew up in Norway, where... Fall is this short transition between a short summer and a really long winter. So it's really a sad season, but really beautiful as well. And we would always go up in the mountains and watch the the fall colors of the mountain birch. Um, I lived in Japan for a while, where all the seasons seemed to matter equally, which was like a new way of thinking for me, and it really made me appreciate all the seasons a lot more. And after living in Texas as well, where everyone was always complaining that they didn't have any seasons, it's it's really made me think about things. So yeah, also the podcast made me reflect on this. So thank you very much.
0: And thank you, Alexander. Oh, by the way, if you do send me a message, let me know if you're okay with them being on the podcast. I want to share as many perspectives and landscape voices as possible. As usual, resources used for the show are online at landscapenerd.com. Support the show by following on Instagram at Nerd, or consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Also reach out to me through email at thelandscapenerd at gmail.com. Someone even found me on LinkedIn, which was pretty cool, so don't hesitate to say hi. Thank you for listening. Keep learning, and I'll talk to you soon.